unfortunately, chunks of sport that don't really kind of get the, yep. oh, this is going to hit everything in my organisation from HR through to on the pitch or on the court or on the field. And like that, you know, it's gonna, it is going to hit everything. It's just a question of how fast you can learn to adapt to it. You're listening to Sports Tech Feed, the global sports technology podcast. Hello and welcome to Sports Tech Feed. I'm your host, Thomas Loams. Great to have you join us again this week. On today's episode, we have Richard Ayres, one of the brightest minds in sports digital. He's the CEO and founder of Seven League, a digital consultancy focusing on sports. And their clients are an absolute laundry list of leading global sports teams and properties, uh, including FC Barcelona, NBA, FIFA, NFL, UEFA, Tottenham Hotspur, Juventus, the English Premier League, Green Bay Packers, England Netball, and the Ryder Cup. So really lucky to have him on the show and, and share a lot of uh, his insights. And so Richard obviously uh, is discussing digital transformation in sports and how that actually touches all aspects of those organizations. He also touches on the mega trends such as democratization of technology and how that's affecting sports. Also similarities he's seen between disruption in the music industry and how learnings from that can apply to sports today. Finally, there's a discussion on what traditional sports can learn from esports and gaming in the way that they engage with their fans and monetize that fan base. So as you'll hear, I am not conducting the interview this week. You might notice from our uh, interviewer's very broad Scottish accent, I'm certainly not putting that on. The honour for interviewer this week goes to Umberto Rigetti, Chief Strategy Officer of Atrium Sports. So this interview was actually recorded at the Sports Tech World Series UK conference in November last year held at London Olympic Stadium. So a big thank you to our global partner, Atrium Sports, in particular, Umberto. We actually had Umberto on the podcast earlier this year, so you can hear his episode as well as plenty of past episodes via sportstechfeed.com. That's sportstechfeed.com. So I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going a little bit stir-crazy at home, working from home, uh, but still feeling like they want to grow their knowledge in the industry. So I'd say that's a, a good little escape, but you're also uh, building your knowledge in sports tech. So definitely a way to do it. Head back, listen to a bunch of different episodes. you also find contact details for me there if you'd like to get in touch. Uh, always love to hear from our listeners. So any kind of guest suggestions, uh, suggestions in general, or if you just feel like you're, uh, you're in quarantine for the fifth day and you want to have a chat, feel free to reach out and we'll, uh, we'll talk sports tech. And here is Umberto and Richard Ayres. My name is Umberto Rigetti. I'm Chief Strategy Officer for Atrium Sports. And probably before going any further, I should explain that despite the Italian name and the Scottish accent, I'm actually Australian. So <laughs> I live in Sydney, um, and it's an absolute pleasure to be in this wonderful venue, and an absolute pleasure to be here talking with a very good friend of mine, Richard Ayres, the founder and CEO of Seven League. Hopefully, most of you are very familiar with what I regard as the smartest brain in digital sport, uh, and also the best known ginger beard in digital sport. Yeah, yeah. So, it's not really ginger anymore. It's just going gray. For, for, those of the, for those of you that, that are not familiar, do you want to explain a little bit why you set up Seven League and what, who you work with? And... Yep. Uh, thank you for uh, sticking around. Last thing on a Friday, always challenging. Um, and uh, well, I. I was in the media, I was a journalist, and I spent uh, 20 years making content and telling stories and doing all that, most of it digital. Turns out I was okay as a journalist and much better as a geek. Uh, and I could, can I just check, actually, who's, who would count themselves as a geek in the room? Wow, I thought there'd be more than that. I thought it'd be everybody. Really? Okay, who can code? Who's a coder? 
Okay, all right, good smattering of coders, excellent. Uh, I haven't coded for years, so I won't claim that. Um, uh, anyway, 2010, I get rung up by Manchester City Football Club, and they say, uh, we are spending truckloads of money on digital, and we have no idea what we're getting for it. And can you come and have a look? And just do a two-week you know, consulting thing, give us a report, um, and let us know how we're doing. And uh, it, it was fascinating. And you, know, you will know, working in and around sport is amazing. Uh, it's very powerful. It has a whole sort of social impact. Um, but also, there's a lot of good business to be done, because sport, generally speaking, has been way, way, way behind the times. Um, and so then I set up uh, Seven League in, in uh, 2012 after the Olympics, in fact, because you know, this amazing venue uh, showed me that sport has a real, you know, as a lifelong Londoner, sport has an ability to transform society in a way that little else does. And I thought, well, if I can dedicate my life to helping sports connect with audiences and get people to play and follow and do stuff around sport, then the world would be a better place and that'd be good. Um, and so Seven League's been going for seven years. And we work with, well, our smallest client is Sutton United Football Club, which is sort of one man and a dog, um, through the various national governing bodies like England Netball and British Canoeing and up into uh, Juventus and Barcelona and FIFA and UEFA and a bunch of other guys. Um, we're about 50% soccer and 50% other sports. I could go on for ages, I'll stop there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Um, very, very briefly on Atrium Sports because you can go to the app and check out more details, but most of you will not have heard of Atrium Sports. I hope that'll change in the coming weeks and months. Uh, Atrium Sports is a new company that I founded with six other Australians earlier this year. Um, whilst we're a new company, the seven of us are actually very old heads. Um, a bit embarrassed to say it, but we've been doing sports tech for 20 years. So in that time, we've worked at the highest level of football. We've worked at the highest level of basketball uh, with FIFA, with the Asian Football Confederation, with the NBA, and, and with FIBA. And Asian Sports is a new business. We were focused on video, and as Bob mentioned, uh, the autonomous production of content. So allowing second-tier sport that can't afford or doesn't have the budget for or resources um, to capture live content, to be able to, to film that and to be able to enhance it, make it better, distribute it and, and monetize it. So quick, quick summary of uh, HM Sports. So I, I want to kick off a little bit. I, I was in Madrid at the Sports uh, Pro OTT last week. I heard um, Javier Sobrino, a good friend of yours, the head of strategy and innovation at FC Barcelona. And he made the point that Technology is an enabler. Technology is not there for technology's sake. Technology is there to help achieve business outcomes and in the business of sport, sport business outcomes. I was interested in how you sort of view the framework, the context when you think about sports technology. You know, do, do you put it into buckets that certain things from performance to fan engagement? How, how do you think about the buckets of sport? The, the um, overarching, the sort of governing process is that of digital transformation, which interestingly is becoming more current. I'm hearing more and more sports executives talk about it openly. Digital transformation is a thing, which is quite interesting. Uh, it, it has been hitting various sectors. I was, I was in uh, the news sector originally when it hit because the fact that you could publish news on a website as opposed to having to go through the Times or the BBC or whatever uh, made a, a transformational difference and news had to react. And that was mid-90s. And sport has only really, I think, started to hit digital transformation in the last... I mean, say 10 years-ish, and my bet would be it's probably going to continue going through digital transformation as a process for at least another 10 and probably 20 years. So like, there's a hell of a long way to go there. And as ever, you get um, organizations that react very well and those that react less well. And sport generally, particularly because 
um, quite often soccer has got so much money around it and so much audience around it, uh, it has not needed to move because it's quite comfortable sitting back and it's taking the TV rights. Uh, and, and really, any organization reacts to digital transformation for really only two reasons. One of those is you've either got a visionary leader. So uh, Warner Music, famously in the, I think it was the early noughties, about 2002, their CEO just immediately stopped talking about records and started talking about downloads. And he stopped, you know, he's immediately just clicked everybody into, this is what we're doing, get on board. Famously, the guy at Burberry, um, you know, the fashion brand, Burberry said, you know, he, got, he had an all-staff meeting and said, we are going to do this and we're going to consciously go through digital transformation. And if you don't want to be involved in it, great, but you need to leave. Like, just really making it clear. And sport is still not really kind of getting, there's still large chunks of sport who are rather that the internet just kind of went away and left them alone. And data was a thing they didn't have to worry about. Yep. So, so, you know, it's, it's happening and it's moving, but it's, and it's hitting, broadly speaking, the two sides of, I think you constantly have to uh, divide between the front office, as it were, you know, the sort of marketing, fan engagement, yep. uh, all of that sort of side of things, um, or indeed the performance, the elite, the player tracking, the, all that sort of stuff. Yep. And, and even that definition, there's still, unfortunately, chunks of sport that don't really kind of get the, yep. oh, this is going to hit everything in my organization from HR through to on the pitch or on the court or on the field. And like that, you know, it's gonna, it is going to hit everything. It's just a question of how fast you can learn to adapt to it. Yep. And in the way... Um, Sport is going to be hitting the same way other industries are hit by mega trends. I mean, yep. what, what do you see as the big impacts that are going to, um, technology-wise, thinking, artificial intelligence, thinking, um, you know, that, that sort of area. What are the areas that you see are going to be impacting sport and sport needs to be thinking about today? Some of those things are already happening. Like, um, I mean, they always have, tend to have long, fancy words. But, you know, democratization uh, uh, is, is one that gets sort of talked about. You know, the ability to be able to film and share and uh, stream at a very local level. Yep. Um, you know, Alex uh, Morgan, famously from the US women's national team, was when she was injured, this is about two or three years ago, she just started streaming all the games that she was doing and it was causing you know, a, a whole bunch of issues and rights troubles, but it was, it was just sort of naturally flipping the business models yep. um, along. So, I mean, there's, there are um, that, that kind of processes ongoing. Uh, I still think there's things like um, you know, adoption awareness yep. is, is not, uh, good enough yet, but it's, it's uh, a big uh, development point. I mean, there's all these sort of bits behind the technology. They're the bits that sort of worry me, yep. because in the meantime, technologists, probably many of the people in the room, are coming up with amazing things that can be done, but unless the organization that they go to has an awareness and an understanding of what you can do with it and how to implement it, it's pretty pointless yep. most of the time. I can't count the number of times that football clubs or, or all sorts of national federations have said, yeah, yeah, I went to a conference, we've got to get a CRM system. Got, we've, got, we've just got to get, we've got to do CRM. Which, you know, in their head was, I've got to tick a box of a thing. And the fact that it's probably five or six different systems plugged in together in a very specific way to work for their particular nuanced membership scheme or whatever, just sort of goes past people. So there's, a, there's all that sort of stuff is still going on. I, I think there's one big area I think we as sport could do. You know the way people have been somewhat obsessed by um, eSports? And you know, I think mostly just because it's got, you know, the same five letters in it. Really, that's the, pretty much. And uh, who, who in the room is a gamer? Who plays games of some form or count themselves as a gamer? Right. That's that's as more, if not many, than the coders and more than the geeks. <laughs> there, there's your lesson right there. there. We, as an industry, I've done a fair bit of stuff with games over the years, and we do, we advise um, Riot Games. You know, the guys who do, um, yeah, uh, and. 
and we've worked with various federations and clubs trying to work out what is your position in the world of games. And frankly, a lot of the time, what you really, your position should be, you should be learning from games. Yep. Because the games industry came up on its own, no government subsidies, uh, no support, mostly outsiders, pretty sort of, you know. Uh, no um, governing bodies. No governing bodies, no TV coverage, like all that sort of stuff. Uh, and they built a phenomenal thriving industry that engages audiences in a way that, you know, we, we I mean, I went to the Arsenal game last night and what a joy that was. <laughs> a 2-1 loss to Frankfurt with a, a stadium that was about a third full and the, after which the manager gets sacked. I mean, it's really not, you know, that is not entertainment. Yeah. <laughs> I took my wife, we had a lovely chat. It was like date night, you know, but I mean, there, there, there happened to be some football going on down there. It didn't really matter. Um, yeah, but that's, I mean, that's a weird dynamic, right? That's not what you talk to football people. They're all like, oh, no, you go to the game and it's the passion. It's like, really wasn't last night. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, you know, learning from games and the way that they engage people yeah. is a thing that we could do so much more yeah, of. I, mean, I, I see I've got three boys. I, I see the difference between the eldest and the youngest. The eldest loves his football. He's been to three World Cups at the age of 26. He right. sits down and watches a 90-minute game. The youngest was, will never watch 90 minutes of football. Yeah. But on a Sunday morning, he'll come to me and say, did you see this goal from last night's game? Did you see that? Yeah, so, yeah. you know, it's, for him, life's about highlights and playing League of Legends. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it, that really is a sort of transformational point. And, and you know, the belief that any person probably under the age of 30 is, is going to consume in the way that yep. previous generations, old men like you and yep. me, yep. like it's not gonna be like that anymore. Yep. And, and that, and that you, you, uh, and we, you mentioned to me before, like what's the Uber moment? Yep. Like what, or the Airbnb or the yep. technology that Sports, has yep. kind of flipped it. I, I feel like sport has, seen sort of several small tremors yeah. already. And, and one of them, probably the most recent one, which I think is really interesting, is um, to your point about you know, attention spans, is um, the Premier League has changed the rights, uh, 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 ability of the clubs to put out the highlights of their own games. So um, one of the teams we look after is Newcastle United. And in October, Newcastle United played Manchester United and they beat them. Well done, the Geordies. Um, but what made an absolute massive difference was the fact that, so when Man United win, they put out the highlights on YouTube. When Man United lose, they don't put out the highlights on YouTube. So Newcastle United put out the highlights on YouTube. And because the rule changes, the highlights are, I'm like, this is gonna be probably wrong, but I think it's eight minutes or seven minutes. Like it's quite, quite a lot. And the result of that is you can put that out from 10 p.m. On, the, on match day. And previously it was the midnight of that day or the midnight of the day after. So quite a long delay. And so I like half of my team uh, say they do not watch match of the day, like at, at all anymore, because all of the important highlights you would want to watch are on YouTube within a few hours of the game anyway. Yeah. And just that little sort of um, uh, governance change and, and sort of little release of regulation to the clubs has made a, has plugged into a behavioral change that the audience really want. Yep. I mean, that's their, that's their, you know, the way iTunes sort of broke music by meaning that um, Dan in our team used to run Sony Music's digital, you know, and he says basically for years we got away selling, you know, 14.99 for 12 tracks on an album, knowing full well two tracks were great, two tracks were okay, and the other eight tracks were rubbish. Right? That, that was your album sales, that was fine. And they were doing it knowingly. And then iTunes comes along and suddenly, oh shit, now it's like, it, you know, it's, a, it's, a, it's performance related. It better be good, otherwise it's not gonna sell. Yeah. You know, Spotify solved the buffering problem and the ability to stream, you know. Yeah. I sort of wonder whether we might have just, ooh, accidentally stepped over that, it's kind of. Interesting. One of the other themes that, uh, in, in Madrid last week was 
Uh, is sport about sport or is, or is sport entertainment? Well, I love the line from the VP partnerships for WWE. It's actually sport entertainment. So he put both words together. Yeah. Um, you're the guy that I think was credited with coming up with the word datatainment. Oh, yeah. how, how do you, what are the things you're seeing in terms of the use of data effectively within sport with some of the customers that, that you're working with? It, it's, so, um, the, uh, yeah, I, I apologize for datatainment because it's <laughs> quite an ugly, yeah. There's a word in that for that, for a mashup of two words. Um, the idea was, I, what I kept seeing was um, people using the data of sport in really immature ways. Just basically doing, you know, here was the distance thrown or the speed or the, you know, like really raw and not telling the stories. And as somebody who wasn't brought up on soccer, when I went to Man City and I sat with the performance analyst, they explained to me, you know, like Balotelli, if you remember Balotelli, they explained to me Balotelli's um, position in Mancini's strategy. Like, this is a guy who is, whose acceleration is phenomenal over a 10 to 12 meter distance, and he will always be in that bit of the pitch, and he will always do that acceleration and get on the end of a ball coming in from David Silver or whoever it was. And that's all he's there to do, is that thing. And when, like, when they explained it to me, I was like, oh my God, I get it, right? Like, you know, I thought if, I, I, I described him as a goal hanger. <laughs> because my, my language was that of an eight-year-old, basically. Um, and I thought, okay, at that moment, if, you can, if you've tried a sport, you appreciate how professionals are amazing. Yeah. But if you haven't tried the sport, you need somebody to explain why they're amazing, and the data could be used to explain that. And I'd seen all the data visualizations that were going in in lots of other areas, not, and I'm not talking about shitty infographics. Yeah. If I see another you know, long, thin infographic with just big numbers and small numbers and other different fonts, <laughs> Fuck off. You know, I mean, just, just show me something interesting. You know, t tell an actual story with it. And if you do do that and do that well, you stand a chance of actually opening sport up to many, many more people and engaging them in all sorts of ways. Yeah, I mean, I, I use a line, um, you know, if you watch a video of sport with no commentary, it's so-so. It's not that interesting. Yeah. If, yeah. You, if you add a commentator to that, it's a lot more interesting. If you add an insightful commentator who's done his homework and can tell the stories, then it, it's better still. Um, you know, we, we're, we're now involved in adding a lot of overlay graphics. So we'll take a data feed in, in basketball, for example, if the players at the free throw line will know what percentage he's got for that game and, yeah. and possibly even for the season to date. So yeah. we're trying to tell the story of, you know, using that data and, and trying to publish it and make it available. Um, you, you do so much in basketball. Basketball, you know, basketball is really interesting because it's, it's a very, you know, stats analytical yeah. kind of game about percentages, of the, you know, and yeah. shots and throws and points and all the rest of it. And um, doesn't the NBA publishes, certainly to the journalists, like all of the stats every quarter, they yeah. come out, they're kind of monitoring everything. Yeah. And as somebody, again, who wasn't brought up on that, it's really interesting to understand the predictability because otherwise I look at it and for 98% of the game, yeah. it's run and score and run and score and run and score and run and score. And then the last two minutes, kind of interesting. <laughs> and the NBA, the NBA, I do, I mean, I'm really interested in their, you know, their model they've recently done about the ability to buy yep. just a quarter of a game and yep. just watch that, uh, that ability. Yeah, interesting. Um, Melissa Brenner, um, EVP of Media NBA, she was also speaking in, in, in Madrid and she was asked the question, are the NBA are always doing the cool things, they're always at the cutting mm. edge of sport. And she was asked, you know, what, what, what sort of next? Well, what, you've obviously done an awful lot of work with the NBA. What are some of the cool things that, that you've done with the NBA or, you know? What did she say? What, whatever she said I'm not, was I'm right. not going to tell you. Oh. <laughs> no, she, I think they might even be in the audience. She, she did talk about, and Adam Silver's talked about this and, and it's 
along the lines of what we said, it's, it's making the experience more interactive, more Twitch-like. And she yeah. talked about Kizway Mobile, yeah. who are doing some great stuff and who are partnering with us. And it's about bringing you know, different commentators, diff the social commentator, the different language commentator, the Twitter feed. It's about bringing everything in. That was her response, but yeah, yeah. interested so in what else you're... Interactive content from, has been uh, um, you know, something that's been played with ever since we had you know, branching storylines and you, know, you choose the ending books you know, when we were... Uh, when, uh, when, we are about the same age, aren't we? When we were little, a little bit older. when it was all analog. Um, and uh, interactive you know, storytelling is a thing which I think would be very interesting. So uh, one of the bugbears I have at the moment, oh, by the way, we're talking about new tech. We should have said blockchain by now. Just say blockchain. OK, there we go. I'm not, not going to talk about it. I'm just going to say it. What are the other ones that people are? Drones. Let's talk about no. OK. Um, the, <laughs> I've, I've distracted myself. Uh, what are we talking about? Branching narrative. Um, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, the, um, one of the bugbears I have at the moment is sport has been very excited about OTT, yep. just like they were all very excited about CRM, just like they were all very excited about, yeah. Yep. And, and when sport was excited about CRM, mostly it was excited about email marketing. Yep. It was pretty basic, yep. really. Not proper CRM, not proper service design, not you know, user behavior mapping and interactions and like all that sort of stuff, which it should be doing. Now, that's coming through, and I bet there's a load of people here who do that, right? That's getting there. But OTT, mostly, they're not really doing OTT. They're mostly just doing a streaming service yep. with, with zero differentiation from many other streaming service. Um, whereas when I look at Kizway or when I look at Twitch, yep. and when I look at the behavior patterns that it triggers, and the way it engages audiences. That's what, I mean, Twitch in particular, I think, is interesting because of the games overlap. Yep. You know, and Twitch, um, they're definitely be making sort of initial steps into the, let's start doing some stuff around sport, and Kizway does that already. You're like, and how do they all fit into that? So th I think that is a really interesting area about how you do the storytelling and how you do the, the engagement levels in, in different ways. I mean, there's, there's a bunch of other stuff, maybe not so much MBA specifically, that are you know, boring but important, like payment mechanisms being linked to personalization yeah. in a way that's smooth and easy and kind of, you know or like stadia like is anybody on this stadium is lovely is it, who's been to the tottenham hotspurs at the stadium yeah pretty awesome right i mean it's it's the the main however the main tech thing about it i mean the the beer filling from the bottom of the glass is amazing <laughs> because because of the flow of usage and the, and everything being cashless yeah. and i i work with them spurs for two and a half years, um, and mostly on the, on the not stadium side, but a little bit stadium. And at one stage, I remember, have, this will stay with me, having an argument with Daniel Levy in which I was saying it should be more commercial, and he was saying, no, no, it's all about the aesthetic, which I thought, in what world does that ever happen? That's completely ass about face. But the Spurs stadium is brilliant, but doesn't actually do very much digitally yet. Yet. And the, the guys, I mean, they had a lot of other things to do <laughs> on their plate. But, no, uh, and that wi -Fi, the Wi-Fi in itself is great. And even that's just like, that's a start of a 10, just good connectivity. I often question some of these things, like, you know, you see, oh, we'll, we'll be able to, to let you know where the shortest queue is for the bathroom, or we will let you know where yeah. you can, buy, where you yeah, can yeah. buy the hot dog and chips. I don't think that really excites me that much. I mean, sure, there's a lot of better 40, things we can do. Yeah, the 49ers did that when they launched, um, uh, when was that, three, four, five years? A while back. And, and, you know, those of us who were close to it knew that actually a whole bunch of that was smoke and mirrors. Yep. They actually had, when it first launched, they had people standing by the loos going, <laughs> one person, two person, three person, like counting them in and then radiating them in and then they were coming out on the app because it, it didn't work. And, th and that was okay. You know, like, there's a teething problems. It's normal. Yeah. Um, you know, you put that in a large scale European environment where that's mostly in soccer, that's not, that doesn't, you know, 
getting food ordered to your seat, it's very, very difficult to make that work. But if it's about picking up merchandise from the shop or pre-ordering it so you get a special price so it's available or telling you where the parking is or you know, all that sort of stuff, if it's, you know, what do they call it, couch to couch kind of scenario, all that, that you starts think, to make a difference. You think we're a few years away from the drone bringing my hot dog to my seat? Uh, yeah, probably. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I don't, we're not that far away from personalised drones full stop, though. I quite like the drone to take me to the stadium. <laughs> that, would, that would be good. It's a different... The, the, the other one I hear a lot of is a 360-degree view of the customer. You know, we, oh, yeah. All these different data sources all live in silos, and how do, how do we you know, better understand from the member, season ticket membership to buying the merchandise, etc. Yeah. The example I always give, Celtics, my team, I work as, as in a pro bono capacity with Celtic, and... I always say to them, and Kerry, who you know well, why are you sending me at Christmas in Australia <laughs> an email saying, buy this lovely scarf and woolly jumper? Because I'm not going to wear it when it's 36 degrees uh, in Sydney. Instead, if you say, here's a special offer on the board shorts that you might need, then I would probably buy them. You know? But they haven't, or hadn't in the history, had the ability to be able to do that yep. and differentiate. I mean, are you seeing any good examples where some sports are doing it better than others? <coughs> Uh, I don't think anybody's cracked it. Yep. Uh, I, I still think there's a long way to go. I still think that um, the, the ones that are cracked it, usually what, we're, what we are seeing is it starts with the sort of human change. So we're seeing a lot more um, people being appointed from outside of sport, yep. which is broadly good. I think in particular, you know, so, so the guys at Barca have um, the two people who lead those teams. One's from the airplane industry. <coughs> that's the, well, airline, that's the word. Airline industry and the other one's from hotels. Like, and that's, they are the right kind of people who are immediately thinking about, you know, back to service design, right? They're thinking about that full flow. And, you know, one of the things that we've had to sort of develop is a specific um, sports organization service design model that means that you can, because it is quite unique. It's not like, broadly speaking, other areas of entertainment. You can learn a lot from entertainment, but yeah. you then need to take it and remodel it for that specific sport. But I, know, I know you've done, which probably happens in consumer goods more, um, the segmentation. I remember the story you told us about the NBA, when the NBA weren't selling enough league passes, etc., or the yeah. merchandise in Europe. Yep. They saw Europe as one market. Yeah. And you had to tell them, no, actually the Spaniards and the French yeah. and the Italians all work differently and think about content differently and need to get it in a yeah. different format. Yeah, they, we did a really interesting piece of work um, for them, oh, probably three years ago, uh, which was um, they had League Pass. They were selling the same League Pass at $120 to everybody in the world. And, uh, I mean, the pricing wasn't right, the distribution wasn't right, you know, the timing wasn't right, and the public came, you know, And we, we looked at absolutely everything. You know, if it's an... If it's a, um, an audience in India, do they actually want subtitles yep. or do they want dubbing or do they want localized um, presenters or do they actually, they do want the American presenters? You know, and do they want the highlights package delivered first thing in the day or in a bundle together? Like, and the data and the, like so many questions that were both product and content yep. uh, packages and how do those all fit? And they, at that stage, they also, they had a guy in the London office um, doing 10 countries worth of social media channels so that was, and he was doing two or three per country. So we're like 20 to 30 channels. This poor guy was on his own. Now he was brilliant and he was working very hard and he spoke four languages, which is good. But he didn't speak Turkish. So on Turkey, for example, he had a spreadsheet that had his 10 Turkish phrases. And what was hilarious was on the, on the Turkish Twitter channel, the, the fans had a game going, a betting game going of what phrase he was going to use next. Because they'd be like, it's Thursday, it's going to be the birthday message. He always does a birthday message on a Thursday. And sure enough, he put in the phrase, you know. So it, it was kind of like, guys, it doesn't make sense. So you've got to change it.
Um, historically, in, in our time in sports tech over the last 20 years, we've played a lot of the lower tier. We, we, we were sort of doing grassroots in Australia a long time ago. Um, and the comment was made earlier, sometimes you think you're a bit of ahead of your time and what happens. And I couldn't understand why I couldn't go to Nike and say I've got you know, half a million people who play basketball or I've got 700,000 people who play soccer. Why don't you write me a seven-figure check yeah. and sponsor that instead of spending money at the elite level? Yeah. Surely you're all about selling to people that need a new pair of boots and you, every, every year sort of thing. Um, do you, are you seeing any change in terms of brands thinking a little bit yeah. more yeah. lower tier? Yeah, very much so. Um, the, uh, I've had two, maybe three national governing bodies tell me that they have had sponsors very politely just exit the room at the point at which they can't provide them the data they require. Yep. Um, and, and that's alarming for you know, small-scale um, NGBs who you know, mostly don't have the funding they require. Um, thankfully, we're beginning to see NGBs in particular you know, adjust around that and be able to offer packages specifically. Yep. I mean, also, one at the other end of that scale, one of our biggest clients, who shall remain nameless, uh, I did an 18-month strategy process with them. It, it should, frankly, have been three months. Like, we could have cracked it in three months, but you know what organizations are like. You've got to get them to align and agree, and like they're all fighting rearguard actions to not let go of their territory and all that stuff. But after 18 months, the, the, the pivotal moment was getting the commercial director to say, we have an immediate threat of, to 25% of our sponsorship revenue because I've got two major sponsors who are going to walk out the door unless we can deliver them some scale and some depth of data, and unless we stop prattling on about giving real-time updates, because these, you know, it wasn't Coca-Cola, but you know, because people the size of Coca-Cola have teams of 40 doing nothing but doing audience understanding and profiling. Like, we cannot provide them that level of, of data capability. So there's, there, there has been, a, back to a people challenge, there's definitely been a people challenge with, um, uh, sponsors not understanding any of the, the, the attribution. I mean, the, the attribution of value is, a, if anybody out there has got the perfect answer for value attribution, you know, you're going to do great. It'll work really well. Um, you know, things like, uh, what are they? Gum Gum and, um, what's it called? Bright something? No, anyway, there's, there's a series of them that do that sort of uh, visual um, tracking. Blinkfire, thank you. Blinkfire and those kind of guys. Like, really interesting, very, you know, really advanced tech, and I like it. But you need the human who's getting the data yep. to be able to interpret that appropriately. Yep. Otherwise, they're making decisions on the wrong kinds of data yep. around there. And that, what's interesting is watching the sponsors. They're getting smarter quicker, if you see what I mean, than the sports, because they have to, because the pressure on them to make return on investment from the, from the sponsorship is, is happening faster. I think there's still a lot more that the sports can do in terms of, I mean, the sponsors are, in many cases, are wanting those leads, are wanting the data and the customers. Um, you know, we're seeing more companies, I think, entering the space of whether it's vote for the man of the match on the mobile phone, yep. um, you know, enter the competition. So I think they're beginning to get a few more of these happening sort of things. So, yeah. Yep. Um, maybe getting a bit of the wind up. So um, last question from me. Uh, we had a very successful Women's World Cup. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of interest in women's sport. I see it big time in Australia. Um, the football club that I used to run um, most of the growth over the last seven years has all been women joining the, the mm. club in women's sport. What, what things are you seeing in terms of how, how women's sport sponsors how the growth and support of, of women's sport? Uh, the, um, the main thing, uh, well, there are, okay, there's a whole series of things. One of the uh, immediate things is uh, access to athletes is so, so different. Uh, and the athletes themselves are so, so different because they've been professional 
for fewer years, and they haven't been steeped in or kept in a sort of you know vacuum sealed bubble that, that isolates them from the real world. And to get so 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 what you're getting from not just the amount of access, but the yeah. quality of access that you're getting from them makes a huge difference. I think there is a really interesting. This is not tech, but this is a really interesting cultural challenge for. <laughs> Women's sport as a whole, but particularly soccer. Do you want you want all the good bits from men's soccer? But how do you get that without getting all the bad bits from men's soccer? In you know, there was it was really interesting. There was the Arsenal Spurs North London derby, you know, um, two weeks ago of in in women's football, uh, played in the Spurs Stadium, which was amazing. There were I forget the number, but like thirty five thousand people there, which is tremendous. But Arsenal tweeted out, you know, they won. And, and of course they won because they've been pro for a long time and they're really great and Spurs had only just come in. Like, it was a mismatch in terms of the actual on the pitch. But then Arsenal tweeted out, uh, you know, North London is red. And like that kind of, and, and, they, and when I asked them why, they said, well, you know, we felt we could have more banter and fun. You could bring a bit of the fun without having the tribalism. And I was like, well, I think you just imported the tribalism into the women's game that wasn't actually there. Because in the Spurs stadium, all the Spurs and Arsenal fans were mixing together. And you kind of think, we, I, I want more of that. I want less of the other dynamic in there. Yeah, I think we're getting the wind up, so lock it. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, that is one of the best discussions we've had across the world across the last four years of doing these. Uh, please give it up for Amberto and Richard as well. That's awesome. And there you have it. That was Richard Ayres, CEO and co-founder of Seven League, an absolute authority in everything to do with digital in sports. So really lucky to have him sharing his insights there. I I like that he ended on that point around the kind of cultural impacts. It's, it's not necessarily a, a technology issue, but there's certainly potential for technology solutions. But talking about the growth of female sports and how do you actually transfer the best things from that. So for instance, the Arsenal Spurs women's uh, North London Derby, which I was lucky enough to attend at Tottenham Hotspur's fantastic new stadium. Uh, how do you port the good stuff from that without bringing over the bad stuff, you know, hooliganism, whatever else. And and personally being in the stands there and seeing kids who aren't, you know, don't understand that I should hate someone from Tottenham if I go for Arsenal or, or I'm vice versa. One of their friends is an Arsenal shirt. One of their friends is in a Tottenham shirt and they're sitting side by side enjoying some, some fantastic football. So that's something that would love to see more of in the world. And I mean, without getting too preachy, it's certainly something the world needs a bit more of now. So good that that's the end note. And if one of the takeaways is that someone out there with a technology solution for improving the fan experience in terms of the cultural side of it, then that's certainly an area that I think um, has a lot of growth. Thanks again for joining us and looking forward to seeing you next week. (laughs) 